And Father, we do thank and praise you that uh, we can call the name of Jesus our Lord and King and Savior, and we definitely want to crown him. We know that um, his grace and his greatness and his glory go beyond our understanding, but we pray that whatever we do today, we'll bring glory to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what a great set, eh? Wow, that's good stuff. You know, in fact, that uh, one song, number two, Overcome is taken directly from Revelation. I'm not going to tell you where. You can read further and find out. But those words are directly quoted uh, from the book of Revelation. The second one where it said, By the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, we will overcome. You'll see all throughout Revelation this word overcome emphasized. Overcome, overcome, overcome. So, hey, my name is Jeremy. Welcome here. This is the last sermon in the series of the book of Revelation, the last, the end of the end, the very end, the apocalypse, I don't know, I'm trying, couldn't come up with anything for this morning, but you get it, you know, like last, end times, eschaton, anyways, I got better stuff than my jokes here in a minute, but uh, today, I think, I'll Start with this analogy. You've heard perhaps the story of Goldilocks and the three bears. Exactly right. Well, today I like to tell you the story of gold and three chairs. So there's Goldilocks and three bears, and today is a story of gold and three chairs. And what I mean by that is this: um, you're going to see. A movement. Here's a slide that goes throughout this passage. We'll have what I'll call the three chairs, the problem, the solution, and the promise. Um, that's one way of doing things. But another way you could do it is use your imagination for a minute. Imagine three different chairs, and the first of which is kind of a high chair, a big chair, a commanding chair, one that a king would sit on or a president or someone like that, someone who is enthroned and pretty much rules their own world. The second chair would be a different chair. It'd be a hot seat, if you will, a a seat that people sit on. Maybe they're being questioned or interrogated or they're getting the royal, you know, what for. And the third seat is uh, an even bigger seat, one that's so gargantuan you can't even climb up into. I mean, it's huge. It's something you would imagine in a great castle in the sky like the giant's throne. I mean, you look up at it and you say, wow. So we have a very big chair, which we're used to, like a commanding chair. We have kind of the hot seat, and then we have a giant seat. Those are the three chairs that we're going to look at today. And so there's a problem, a solution, and a promise. The problem's going to be in verses 15 through 17. The solution, 18 through 19, and the promise in verse 21. And the theme is essentially this. Here's what you'll see in Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to swap self-sufficiency for virtue and vindication. Swap self-sufficiency for virtue and vindication. So I'm going to ask you to take out one chair, sort of musical musical chairs, and take that chair and get rid of it and put a different chair in place. And we'll show you how to do that this morning in Revelation chapter 3. So Revelation chapter 3, if you have your Bible, I invite you to follow along with me. Uh, this is the third chapter to the seventh church, Laodicea. And Jesus himself, speaking to that church, says this. 
And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit or spew you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness and not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he with me to the one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first thing I want to go after is the first chair, the biggest one of all, and that is actually the problem in this text. The problem is the assumption, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, there was a problem at the start. The problem is the assumption of self-sufficiency. The problem is the assumption of self-sufficiency. So where do I get that? Well, here's the thing, to understand this passage, like many of these other ones, you have to kind of jump into that context. So I'll help you do that this morning and point out three things in particular that were significant to this city. Let me ask you this. Let me, before I even ask that, let me ask that. Let me ask this question. So when I say three significant things of the city, if I were to say that of Midland, three significant things, if you're talking to someone who's never been to Midland before, like 2000 years from now, what would you tell them? You got three. What are they? The roads aren't straight, okay? All right. What's another one? The tridge. Anything else? Dow. Yeah, I hope you say Dow. That's kind of a big thing. Um, however you feel one way or another, it's a pretty big thing. So we, so 3,000 years from now, we're going to tell somebody, okay, there's a city called Midland and there is the tridge and the roads aren't straight and Dow. All right. We can roll with that. So they're going to scratch your heads and go, what in the world is the tridge? I mean, before I came here, I'm going, the tridge? What is that? The roads aren't straight. Okay, there's perhaps a reason for that. We'll figure that out eventually. And Dow, what is Dow? Well, it's not DuPont. Or actually, wait, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, when I came, they actually asked me the question. They interviewed me, theology, doctrine, you know. Experience, and then they asked Dower DuPont. What are they going to ask the next guy? I mean, they can't even. Yeah. Anyways, three significant things about the city, and here in Laodicea, such is the case. There are three significant things, and if they were answering that question, they would say banking. They would say the clothing or textile industry. And they would say the medical industry. Those are three big things in 
Laodicea. I'm kind of interested to see what I get in the next service because we said those three things. I think there's some people who work at our hospital. Perhaps it'll come up in the next one. But today, for Laodicea, I want you to know these three things. You could say it like this. Gold, garments, and glasses. Gold, garments, and glasses. Remember that. Those will come up in just a minute. Gold, garment, and glasses are banking industry, textiles, clothing, and um, the medical field as well. So here's a picture of the gold that you might see if you're in that city. There's lots of gold coins that we've discovered from back, not we, not I, but they. Um, Emperor Domitian is on this one. There's others, uh, but it's an important place where you would go to do business. So, for example, if you want to cash your check, you might very well end up in the city of Laodicea. In fact, Cicero went here to cash his checks. They, they have banking records of that. And so banking is a big thing. Think New York Stock Exchange or money or money traders or whatever. Money is a big thing. So this city is super wealthy. And like some of the other cities in that Region, they also had issues with seismic activity. So because of the volcanoes and other stuff, eventually there's this giant earthquake and the whole city is destroyed. Well, what happens when a city is destroyed? You know, the poli- you know, politicians, presidents, or whatever just come in and try to help. And they say, okay, we're going to declare a national disaster. We're going to send you these funds. And FEMA is going to come in and do whatever. Well, in this city, so the other cities that happened to, and they said, yes, please help. In this city, they said, no, thanks. We got it. We're all good. In fact, we've stored up enough money. We can rebuild the city on our own. There's so many foundations. There's so many assets. There's so much investment here that we don't even need your help. So thanks, Caesar, but have a nice day. I mean, they were self-sufficient. They were completely capable of doing it. They financed the entire rebuilding of the entire flattened city on their own without any help. I mean, the government offers them. Caesar comes, says, hey, would you like these funds? They said, no. We got it. That's how rich they were. So banking is a big one. The next one is garments, the textile industry. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And the third one is medical knowledge. Um, You're going to hear stuff about salve to anoint your eyes. This is one of the first places they realized that complex problems require complex solutions. And so they would create compounds, different things like neosporin or triple antibiotic stuff so that if you got infection you can put it on your eyes and wow all of a sudden this works better than just doing nothing in other words they had good medical care and superior knowledge so three things gold garments and glasses i'm just looking for something to point to the eyes we all wear glasses maybe that'll help gold garments and glasses but what the text essentially tells us is even though they had gold garments and glasses he says look you say i'm rich you've prospered you need nothing you're self-sufficient you don't even need caesar's help but you're actually wretched pitiable poor blind and naked in other words your material abundance has led to your spiritual poverty this is a very real danger in our in our folks in our lives folks. I mean, if you think about it, you know, Jesus says, "Hey, it's going to be harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than go through the eye of a camel or, or a camel go through the eye of a needle." Why? Well, because 
it's hard. I mean, if, if you're affluent, if you're situated, I know that's not everyone in this room. I'm definitely not assuming all of us are rich. Some of us are struggling. That's okay. But if you're situated, then it's really easy to sort of sit back and be comfortable and not worry. And in fact, when you stop paying attention, that's when you're in more danger than you even realize. Material abundance can lead to spiritual poverty. Beautiful clothing in their area covered their cold hearts and their medical care, their ability to help the blind see actually led to spiritual blindness. The spiritual blindness of thinking that they themselves were self-sufficient, that they had no needs and could care for all of their stuff. If they just had enough health care, education, medicine, money, whatever, if there's a problem, we can probably fix it. Now, in reality, I understand there's probably not a billionaire out here, but we often fall into this line of thinking. We're like, okay, if I just had more money, I could fix it. If I had the right people in power, we could fix this. If we had a better school, this would fix this. If we had better this or better that, and we fall into that trap of thinking, you know what? We can take care of our problems on our own. And we see a problem, we see a solution, we don't even ask God at the start. We just go and say, okay, this is what we need. We need to get rid of our debt. We need to do this. We need to do that. Boom, 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 and we'll be set. We don't even think to start at the beginning by saying, hey, God, What's the real thing we need here in this situation? Lord, will you show us? There's a danger in the assumption of self-sufficiency. Tremendous, tremendous danger. Watch out. Beware. You say you're rich. You think you got it. But really, you don't. So what do we need to do then? Well, Midland, think about our situation. I asked you for three things. I... Writing my notes earlier might have said this. I said, if we, we do have significant industry, obviously, in our area. We don't have gold, but we do have silicon, right? We don't have gold, but we do have silicon. We don't have much in the way of clothing stores, but we do have the internet, UPS, and FedEx. We have really good health care. We have fitness clubs, stylish salons, glasses, and even LASIK. We can actually make our eyes see better than 2020. But the problem is, even with perfect vision, unless God is guiding our steps, we will inevitably stumble and fall. We are not self-sufficient. And It's a strange thing to say because so many of us, including me, desire this deeply. I mean, man, if I could just eliminate my debt, if I was independently wealthy, if I was totally situated so I could do whatever I want and nobody had me by the tail, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be so awesome if we were just like completely free? And yet the reality is this, if we were, if we... If we should be, God could have made us that way, but he didn't. So what that means is this. He wants you to learn that you are dependent, that you are dependent on him and on other people too. Not only do you depend on God, but we also depend on others, and we just can't get away from that. We find ourselves under authority, and that authority teaches us that the world does not, in fact, revolve around us. We are accountable to someone, and we don't always get to do what we want. 
And sometimes we say, poo-poo, that stinks. You know, I don't like that. I want to stomp my feet, take my toys, and go home. I quit. But we know that's not right. And we keep going. We have to dethrone the assumption of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency wants us to be independent. But what God teaches us is that we are, in fact, dependent And so what he tells us to do then, let's imagine there are three chairs. I would say that first chair, that big one, that throne, that's the self-sufficiency. That's the elevated SUV. That's the I'm on top of my world. I can see everything around me, command and control. I got this figured out. God wants to dethrone or get rid of that chair of self-sufficiency and swap it for virtue. He wants to take that big chair out and get it in in the place of it a smaller chair and not just a smaller chair but indeed a more difficult chair this one's going to be not as comfortable this one's going to feel a bit wobbly this one's going to require more effort and it's going to even cost us more god gives us the desire god wants us to desire To swap self-sufficiency for virtue. So here's what he does. He says to the city and to us, I counsel you to buy from me three things. One, two, three in verse 18. One, two, three. I'm going to tell you what those are. We're going to work through each of them in the next few moments. And it's weird that Jesus should be saying, I want you to buy something from me, right? Like, I thought salvation was a free gift of God. Why would Jesus say, buy something from me? What are we talking about here? Let me show you. It says, I counsel to buy from me what? Gold. Gold. Wait a minute. Gold. Hey, this was the city of gold. Why do I want gold? Actually, he says a different kind of gold. Gold that is refined by fire. Ooh, that's interesting. Refined by fire. What does that mean? This is virtue. This is gold acquired the old-fashioned way. By hard work, discipline, trials, and testing. This is not talking about self-made millionaires, but instead, this is talking about the imperishable spirit of the human heart. Barclay says it like this. He says, It is a fact of life that the best athletes and the finest scholars receive the hardest and most demanding training. James, the the apostle, the half-brother of Jesus, says it like this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, what God is saying is, hey, when you come to faith in Christ, you're raw material. And in order to grow in your Christian faith, in order to be refined, in order to get rid of the bad stuff and bring out the good, he's going to heat things up a little bit for you. He's going to make the chair that you're sitting in hot and uncomfortable and unpleasant. And you're going to be sitting in that chair and you're going to want to get out and move. And you're like, I'm not so sure about this one. I'd rather have that self-sufficient thing. That was a lot more cozy. That felt like a lazy boy. This, not so much. I'm not sure if I want to keep going. But look, what he's assuring you of is that those whom I love, I discipline. Those whom I see something in and want them to become something more, I train. If there is value in you, if there is 
value to be had, then the way in which God is going to produce it is through the fire. He's going to heat things up in your life. He's going to refine you. He's going to try to boil out all the bad stuff so it can be scraped off. And then you're left with a pure virtue that remains. This is what's going on in this text when Jesus is talking to this church. They're like, hey, you want to settle for the gold of comfort, for the gold of this world. But let me give you some real gold, gold that is really refined by fire. To those whom I love, Revelation 3.19, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline. Discipline, trials, testing, those are the things that actually refine our soul. And as much as we try to avoid them, this is actually saying that those are the best things for us. That thing which I desperately do not want and desperately try to avoid is actually the thing that I need the most. The difficulty, the resistance, The struggle, that's the thing that makes me stronger and makes us whole. First of all, buy from Jesus, swap out, be willing to trade fake gold, fool's gold that will send you to hell for real gold, eternal gold, virtue that leads you to heaven. Swap self-sufficiency for virtue. Now, secondly, the next thing it says is to counsel you to buy from me white garments. White garments. Okay, so why in the world would he say this? Is is Jesus a racist? The answer is no, absolutely not. Jesus was brown. So we need to get over that right away and realize what he's talking about here. Actually, in this area, there was a type of sheep that we would think is kind of like our merino wool. And they had very dark wool, very dark. And this was the desirable clothing that you wanted to wear. If you're in this area, you wanted, and this textile industry produced something like merino wool. So merino wool, I don't have anything made out of merino wool, but I've seen it on the shelves. And as you know, I shop like this. And when I come across it, I feel it. I'm like, ooh, that is soft. That is nice. And I look at it and I read about it. And it's these base layers for like skiing and stuff. And it's like this thin. And it weighs less than this piece of paper right here. And yet, it's like keeping you warm down to negative 60. And you're like, how can this little tiny thing, well, it wicks moisture. And it's this strong fabric. It's like mithril or something. I mean, this is the stuff, right? It's merino wool. This is what the really wealthy people would go after who lived here. They're like, I want to dress in those dark, beautiful, soft, silky garments that make me look good, that show off my wealth, that impress everybody else and draw attention to me. So the idea here is that, look, this is desirable. Those dark Clothing, that merino wool, that's what people want. But what Jesus is saying is, look, your beautiful clothing is actually covering up a cold heart. And you need to get rid of that and put on something that's actually more valuable than the most beautiful clothes you can ever imagine. You need to clothe yourself, as Colossians says, with real beauty. Now, I want to lean in for just a little bit here because this is important in our society it's crazy. I mean, I, I guess back then, I think you put on a lot of clothes to impress people. What do the movie stars do now? The exact opposite of that, right? 
They take off as much clothes as they can. And sometimes on purpose. Oh, a wardrobe malfunction, whatever. You just want to be on the front page for the next few days. Let's see how little we can wear. Now look, it's easy to condemn them, but the reality is we do it too. And I'm just going to be direct, and you can fill my box with hate mail later. But ladies... Be careful about what you wear. I'm serious. Men, you too. Guys, we don't need to dress to impress, right? We want to put our best foot forward, so we try to, you know, whatever. But the reality is, there are probably better things we can spend our money on than clothes. Yes, it's important for you to look nice and steward yourself well, but you're not to dress to impress. You're to dress so you can function to serve Christ. So too, with ladies, look, you are not to dress... So that attention is directed to certain parts of your body. That is not the way you're supposed to dress. Your dress is not meant to direct the male glance so that you get attention in ways that you shouldn't. That is not the way we're to dress. Buy white garments. Buy something that has nothing to do with the world's standards of what is beautiful. Spend yourself on that which will last forever, not that which moth and dust and everything else eats up and destroys. Look, you want virtue? Man, you got to swap self-sufficiency. you got to get rid of the fake gold and buy real gold. you got to get rid of the fake clothes and buy real clothes. You need to trade out attention and impressiveness for modesty and virtue. So number one, gold. Remember I said gold garments, and what was the third? Glasses. Thank you. Now let me try that again. Just make sure everybody's awake. Gold garments and glasses. All right, good. Thank you. Gold garments and glasses. Um, here's the thing. What happens is in this area, as I said, they can do medicine to help people see better, which is awesome. I believe in medicine. But the thing is, is they think they've got it all figured out. And as a result, they don't need Jesus. But the reality is Jesus is really the only one who can heal us. And Jesus is the only one who can help us see. And we are all blind if we don't have him. So what do we have to do? We have to ask. James 1, 5 says this. Now listen, I want to put this slide up here and, and, Here's the thing. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? If any of you got lost on the way to the grocery store and you don't know which way you're going, what are you supposed to do? Ask. You know, some of us can't even stop and ask directions, can we? And yet here, this text is telling us that we got to go humbly before God to basically say, we don't know anything at all, despite our PhDs and masters in education and engineering and whatever else. We're missing something and we need your help, Lord. We're not self-sufficient. We need your way to light our path. And as a result, we're going to admit there's things we don't know. We don't get it right. And we need you. We got to ask. We just got to ask. And it's embarrassing and it's humbling and we don't want to because we'd rather have the answers and pretend like we've got, but no, we've got to ask. So three things, gold, garments, and glasses. Essentially what this text is telling us is to dethrone, get rid of that first chair, the assumption of self-sufficiency and swap it out for virtue. And virtue is not cheap. 
Okay, understand that gold is expensive and we work all our lives to acquire it. But real gold, man, that's even harder. Nice clothing, man, they're expensive and they're hard to come up with. But real beauty, now that is something to pursue. And yeah, it's nice to be able to see. But if God gives you wisdom, Solomon says that's better than anything else. Go for these things, man. Make the trade. And you know what happens? I said earlier, the theme is to, um, what was the theme? Swap self-sufficiency for virtue, which we just talked about. And the third thing is, and you will get vindication. So what does vindication mean then? What is vindication? This is crazy. What I'm about to tell you, I'm not sure if you're going to believe it or not. Um, it's pretty presumptuous and I wouldn't even be saying it if Jesus didn't say it but here is the craziest thing ever here's the craziest thing you if you are a believer and you persevere to the end okay if you pursue virtue if you swap out fool's gold for real gold if you pursue real beauty if you ask God for wisdom and you follow his ways you know what's going to happen to you you yourself You get to sit on Jesus's throne. You will sit on the throne of Christ. You will sit on the exalted, most untouchable, high throne of the entire universe. You will sit on the throne of Christ. Seriously, let me show you a verse. Revelation 3, 21. Jesus, you can't see it on our slides, of course, but if you look at your Bible, it's probably read. Jesus says this, to the one who conquers, I will what? Grant him to sit with me on the throne. Can you believe that? You get to sit on Jesus's throne. I would never say that. I would never assume something like that. That is over the top. What in the world is he talking about? Understand, from the very beginning, you were actually designed. You as a human being were created to rule. You were created to rule. Uh, 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 uh. That sounds pretty good, right? Before the fall, Genesis 1.26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion or rule over all the earth and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion from the very beginning. Our design is in fact, the rule that's part of stewardship is to rule over God's creation. We are vice regents. He put us here as his image bearers to represent him throughout the land. We're here to rule. We were designed to rule. Now we failed. Adam failed. Adam messed up that rulership. But where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. And therefore, if we are no longer in Adam, but we are in Christ, then our rulership is being restored. Did you hear what I said there? Our rulership is being restored. If you're not in Adam and you're in Christ, you will rule. You will sit on Jesus' throne. How can that be? Second Timothy 2, chapter 8. Remember, Jesus Christ, 
Okay, this is who we're in, who we're associated with, who we're united to. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, David the what? The Messiah, the king, the anointed one, the ruler, as preached in the good news or the gospel. And this saying is trustworthy and true. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. We will reign. Did you see that? We will reign with Jesus. Romans 8.17, just so you know, I'm not making this up. You're what? Fellow heirs with Christ. Can you believe that? Jesus is going to share his inheritance with you. Jesus, to whom belongs all the honor and glory and praise and power forever and ever. Somehow you get included in that? Somehow I get included in that? That's crazy. That's nuts. But that's true. It's the book of Revelation. It keeps saying over and over again, overcome, overcome, overcome to the overcomer, to the victory, to the Nikao, to the Nike. I will give this. If you overcome, this is what you get. You get to reign with Jesus forever and ever. That's a really good deal. I know that most of us don't think of ourselves as kings and queens. There's a really good article on Legionnaire about this. Um, but essentially what he's saying is that our um, redemption or our salvation um, transfers us or we flow directly from what we were created to be and what to, we should be. As a result, even now we're beginning to experience that. So theologians sometimes talk about already, not yet. So inside you're being saved, but on the outside you're Wasting away. Eventually your outside will be saved and your inside and outside come back together again. But we're not there yet. We're not at the new creation. So there's an already, an ongoing salvation. There's a not yet, a salvation that hasn't occurred. So I just told you that in the future, you will have dominion or you will reign over the entire earth. If you are in Jesus, you are a ruler. You are an authority. You will reign. But we're not there yet. So how is that playing out? You know what the Bible says? Don't let sin have dominion over you. Well, by George, I think I heard that word just a few minutes ago. Jesus made us in his image in order to have what? Dominion. And we gave up. We forfeited that dominion, right? But then Jesus came and died so that we could have it again. And we're beginning to get it back now as we rule over our sinful lust and evil passions that are at work in us. And we put them to death and walk in the newness of life. Guess what the kings did in the Old Testament to their enemies? If they're going to rule and reign in peace, first thing they have to do is go out and Take care of business. David has to go out and fight the Philistines. Saul fights the Philistines. And then when you put the bad to death, you can walk in the newness of life. So right now we're in that spot where we are associated with the king, but the king's conquest right now is to conquer. Jesus conquered sin and death at the cross, and now we get to be a part of that conquering playing out in us. And that is what we're supposed to kill. And that is what we use the weapons or the armor of God against. 
Helmet of salvation, sword of spirit, shield of faith, belt of truth, gospel of peace. Hoorah! Here we go. We fight. And we put it to death. But then, after all of that is done, for those who endure, for those who make it through that fight, for those who conquer and overcome, to you it is given the crown of life, eternal life, the crown of righteousness. At which point, once you are crowned, kings and queens, you get to sit on the throne. What is man? You are mindful of him. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him just a little bit lower than the angels. Psalm 8. Jesus has designed us to rule. There's three chairs in your life. I don't know which one you're sitting in right now. You could, in fact, be sitting in the hot chair. If you are, good. You're right where you're supposed to be. You might be pretty comfortable. That means you're sitting in a self-sufficient one. You need to swap that out as fast as you can. But let me assure you, wherever you're at, if you endure, if you hang in there to the end, then you are raised. You will ascend to the throne of God. Father, we praise you and thank you for your only son, Jesus. He makes it possible for us to live. He is our only hope in life and in death. Without him, Lord, nothing. Thank you for his condescension, Lord. We praise you for his ascension. We pray that you would help us to follow in his steps each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.